Thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Bossier City Sermon Podcast. For more information, including our live webcast schedules, please visit www.pobc.cc. Cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you about the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Lord bless you, you may be seated. Before I begin today, let me say what an incredible honor it is to be here. It's, it's been a few days since I was here the last time. But it, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord in the presence of God. There's no place like God's house. No place. Scientists have discovered that there is part of our being as a human being that can cause us incredible problems. And it has to do with our brain. The way God constructed our brains, there's part of it that's called the limbic system, which is the bottom part of the brain that controls a whole lot of what happens in your life. It's called the animal part of every human. It's the brain stem and the first layer of material just above the brain stem. In the limbic system resides some very powerful instincts. The two that reside there that control you on a daily basis are fear and anger. They reside in the brain stem. Everything that goes into your brain or comes out of your brain is filtered through fear and anger. Fear and anger are your survival instincts. So God created you to survive. But he also gave you this incredible ability to control the fear and anger that's in your life. And it happens in a way that we haven't even paid attention to. In the eye are two types of, uh, of receivers in the back of the eye that, that pick up light. One are cones and one are rods. And when darkness shows up, the rods of your eyes seem to take over. Now darkness has a horrible effect on you and I as human beings. In the 40s, the scientists wanted to discover how powerful it was and a, and a man chose to be buried underground in a cave for a six-month period of time without any connection to the outside world in total darkness. And when they brought him out of the cave, the man they discovered 
was horroring to them. And so the results that happened were so horrible that they didn't even deal with it until much later in life. Recently, in a university, they paid students to stay in a room that was soundproof and had no light. And as a result of being in a soundproof room, it caused the same results that happened to the first man. If you notice, if you go outside at nighttime, it's never totally dark. Because the stars, if the moon is not even shining, just the stars alone give you enough light to control fear. And light is the antidote to fear. Without light, you will live in a constant state of panic. Actually, when they got these university students to participate in the study, they discovered that only two hours of isolation, no sound, no light, causes you to hallucinate, to lose your sense of direction, to not be able to even know where you are at. As a result of being there for two hours, it was common for the the student to need to go to the facilities, and so they'd lead them to the restroom, and they kept them with a mask over their face so they couldn't see, and they, they would have to lead them to the commode. And when they had finished, they, had, they couldn't find the door or didn't know how to turn the handle to get out. Darkness will destroy your life. Jesus said men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. See, when Jesus comes into our life, And when we create the right atmosphere, it gives us the ability to change every destructive thing in our life. God created this place to be the safest place you could ever come to so that your defensive mechanisms don't kick in unless we mess with God's order. If we... I'm going to get in real trouble today, but I'm an old man. I've got two years of promised life left, so I don't have a filter, and I just say things, all right? And if I offend you, and by the way, it's good to see my friends at Davis's. I didn't even know they'd even be here, but it's, it's good to see them. But darkness will not help you have better church. It will only allow people to hide and it will, it will stimulate the fear and anger in their lives. So you're going to have to preach through angry, fearful people to get a move of God to take place. You want to see God move in an incredible way. Let me ask you a question. These, t- these places and events where we see incredible numbers of people get the Holy Ghost? What do you think it takes place in? It's either outside in the light of day or in a stadium that has all the lights on so that it looks like you're in daytime. The darker it gets, the more panic you're gonna receive or experience. You can't stand darkness, but yet our world is encouraging us to live in darkness. Darkness will not help you become better. It will only trigger your defensive mechanisms. So you're going to live in a constant state of trying to find the door to get out or come on, buddy, let's go. You want people's lives to be whole? Then we've got to allow the Spirit of God to operate the way God designed it to operate. And when we get the atmosphere right, God's always going to show up. Always. Not sometimes, most of the time, 
God is not hard to find. God is not hard to connect to. You don't have to go on a journey to have an experience with God. God is not hiding. Jesus declares to this woman at the well that the day cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth and the Father seeketh such. That word implies that the instant you call his name, he's trying to find you. You don't find him. You couldn't find God if your life depended on it. But all you got to do is call that name. And the instant you call that name, God is going to start trying to locate where you are and find out what you're doing because he's going to be part of your life the instant you call his name. You don't chase God. There's no such thing as a God chaser. You've, God finds you. So we've, we've changed the whole nature of God. I don't know what happened to us to get us so far off base. The thing that changes the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has always worked. It will always work. You can't change it. You can't make it better. It works the way it was presented. This passage of scripture I've read to you today is an incredible passage of scripture. John is a very unique book. About eight years ago, the week after Christmas, I was preparing to go speak at a family conference in As I was reading the Gospel of John, I just noticed a statement that caught my attention. And that statement has taken me on an eight-year journey, and I still haven't been able to get past it. And for eight years now, I have been going through the Gospel of John. See, the Gospel of John is not a history of the life of Jesus Christ. It was never intended to reveal Jesus to us as a historical person or a historical event. The Gospel of John is the end of the Bible. It's the last book written. It's written somewhere between 100 and 107 A.D. At the end of John's life, Pentecost is 70 years old. He's not writing to introduce the world to Jesus. The world knows who Jesus is. By 70 years after Pentecost, there are hundreds of millions of converts. And that's not an exaggeration. The first church exploded in that world and it spread like a flame of fire throughout the whole part of the Roman Empire, even into Asia and even into India. It spread all over the world as a result of just these 12 men preaching from the Old Testament. The first church never had John 3.16 to witness to anybody. The first church never said, for God so loved them. All you gotta do is believe. If John hadn't have written his gospel, we wouldn't know how to explain the infilling of the Holy Ghost because we wouldn't have the Nicodemus story. So here's an old man at the end of his life recognizing that the church needs some information. If they don't have it, they're not gonna be able to explain what we know because we were there and experienced it. So he starts giving us revelation after revelation after revelation. Every chapter in John is a revelation. Let me just give you a couple of them real quick. Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus back to Abraham. Luke traces the lineage of Jesus back to Adam. But John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, John traces the lineage of Jesus all the way to God. It's not that started at Adam. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. According to John, the first miracle Jesus did was turning water into wine at a wedding. When the first Adam wouldn't protect his bride, the second Adam showed up and started his ministry by going to a wedding to make sure a bride was not shamed, embarrassed, or humiliated by the 
the actions of a father that didn't take her into consideration, make sure there was enough wine to feed everybody before they left and went home. The last thing he did on the cross was to say to John, behold thy mother. So the first thing he did was protect the bride. The last thing he did was to protect mother. When the first Adam wouldn't do his job, the second Adam shows up and shows men how to treat their wives correctly, how to treat them with dignity and respect. And you better do everything in your power to make sure she is protected every day of her life from the time you marry her to the end of your life. You better be in a protective mode on a daily basis. If not, you're in trouble with God. Matter of fact, gentlemen, your wife ought to be the most spoiled person on the block and your neighbors ought to be telling you, would you please just back off a little bit? You're, you're setting standards we can't live by. She's not your old lady, your old woman. She is a treasure God gave you and you better treat her with dignity and respect or you are in trouble with God. It's just full of stuff. You, you just go from chapter, 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 and, and I noticed this little phrase that started me looking. And he must needs go through Samaria. The word needs that John uses in the original text, he uses every other place in his writing as the will of God. So John is saying it was the will of God for Jesus to go to Samaria. This was not an accident. This was a purposeful visit because Jesus knew he had to open the door to the world of humanity to really understand his whole purpose for coming. And the only way he could do that was to reveal it to what Adam destroyed in the garden. And that was the woman at the well. From the garden till present day, men think women wrecked our world. And the truth is, God said she's the answer to your world, not the problem of your world. When God saw Adam was alone, she was the answer to loneliness. Now he put in her something that Adam didn't have And that was an inquisitive nature. She always asked questions. And apparently he got tired of answering them, so he started just giving her information that wasn't even what God said. And he didn't even know he was lying. So how can you lie when you don't even know it's a lie, but yet you can do it because Adam did it. He told her, God said, don't touch the fruit. God never said anything about touching. He just said, don't eat. So he lied. He added the truth. You add the truth, that's a lie. You take away from truth, that's a lie. See, it's, if she picked it up and didn't die, it's not hard to eat because she knows she's going to die if she touches. So if he could convince her never to touch it, then, then she'd never even be tempted to eat. And, and Satan wasn't worried about her eating. He just, if he could get her to get it in her hands, she'd eat it instantly because she knew she'd die by touching, not eating. He didn't interact with her until after she had taken the first bite. Then he's willing to participate himself. When she didn't get killed, then he's willing. He let her be destroyed just to see if God was serious. And as a result of Adam's behavior, God says, my church is now gonna become my bride. And what he wouldn't protect, that's gonna become the foundation of what my church is. My church is gonna become the bride and I'm gonna show you men how to do this right. And he walks into his world and he starts going and correcting every mistake Adam made. And now he says to this lady at the well, give me the drink. He had a destiny here. She's at Jacob's well. Where'd this well come from? Jacob's well is the product of Jacob returning from Laban's house, having nothing to show for what he had, had, was supposed to have received and, and that was supposed to be part of his. 
He was supposed to be given a birthright and inheritance. He had nothing. He had to work everything he had. He earned at his own hands. Nothing came from Abraham or Isaac. It all came from Laban. So he gets back to the promised land. And he decides to stake out his claim. This is my territory. So he buys a piece of property from the Canaanites and he dug a well. And that well becomes the symbol that I'm here to claim what's mine. So Jesus went to that well to claim what belonged to him. And that was his bride. I have to go to a well so people understand that my bride is mine and I'll pay the price so that she can become my bride. And he went to a well to interact with a woman that everybody thinks is a harlot. A woman who's had five husbands now living with someone's daughter husband. So we paint her in a very negative sense. But the fact is, in her world, she never had the right of divorce. Only men did. She is the result of five men throwing her away and saying, she's not worth living with. I don't want her anymore. Send her home. And he sent her back to dad. Dad had to find another man that he could pay money to, a dowry to take her. And when that man got tired and sent her back and then the next one got tired and sent her back and the next one, five down the road, apparently dad's dead by now. Now there's no one to find someone for her to be part of. So her only option was to live with someone. Don't, don't make her evil. When she showed up at that well, she knew instantly she was the most perceptive person in the scripture. She recognized by looking at him and his nature, he was a rabbi and she was a spiritual person because the first thing she wants to know is are we worshiping correctly? She wasn't evil. So she shows up at this well and Jesus shows up there and he says, I, I, would you give me something to drink? Do you think Jesus wanted a drink of water? No, Jesus needed an interaction with this lady and a drink of water was the interaction he needed. Now, he has taken a 20-mile journey. John writes, according to Roman time, not Jewish time, because Jerusalem's destroyed in 70 AD. So all the time frames in the letter of John are different than the letter uh, or Matthew, Mark, or Luke because they use Jewish time. He's using Roman time. So the, the, the 12th hour is noon. They have got up early in the morning and started a journey to Sychar. Now, the easiest way to Galilee was straight up the Jordan Valley. But Jesus climbed out of that valley, which is 12 to 1,400 feet below sea level. It's a steep wall. And they climbed up out of that valley, climbed a, a cliff, and then started uh, across the, the, between the mountains and valleys to this place called Sychar. And this is not an accidental place. This is the place where Moses tells Joshua, when you get to the promised land, you go to this valley and Ebal's on one side and Gerizim is on the other and it's the, the valley of blessings and the valley of curses. It's the place where Shiloh becomes. Gerizim is Shiloh. And so it's at this place that Jesus comes to. It's the place of blessing. Your Pentecostal experience has blessings, but it has horrible curses that go with it too if you don't live what he asked you to live. Go read them. Deuteronomy. So here, Jesus is at this well. Here comes this lady. And he says, give me the drink. Now, when has it ever taken 12 men to buy lunch? See, John told him, he sent the whole group to town. They went to find food. Jesus stayed behind. Why? Because he knew that woman was coming. See, Jesus, or John, lets us know that as God, God is timeless. According to physics, if you're at point A and point B at the same time, time don't exist. So if God is omnipresent, if he's where I'm at and you're at at the same time, God has never lived in time. Only us humans live in time. God lives in eternity. So he's in your past, present, and future at the same time. He's already in your tomorrow before you even get there. 
John also tells us in the second chapter, he knew all men's heart. So Jesus knew what was going to happen. There was never a moment in the life of Jesus he didn't know what was happening at that moment. He was well aware and well prepared of every event that happened in his ministry. So here comes this lady. What are you asking me to drink? You're, you're a Jew and, and I'm a Samaritan. And besides that, I'm a woman. You're not even supposed to be. You're a rabbi. Why are you talking to me? And he just calmly speaks to her. And in doing so, he drove her fear away because he used terms of endearment to address her. He called her woman. And that's the highest term of respect in the Greek language you could give to a lady is to call her woman. And when he calls her a woman, he's saying to her, he's speaking to her in kindness and it caused all of her walls to collapse instantly. There's nothing triggering this the part of your brain that says, let's run and get out of here or come on, buddy, let's go. Instantly, because of his word, she's at total peace. And the instant she's at total peace, then she starts letting her life out. And, and he said, if you just ask of me, I would give you to drink of water. That's living water. That springs up into Everlasting life. The, the words that, that Jesus used, you, you can spend months just addressing these 14 verses that I have read to you today because it's got so much information. The well he's speaking of is a, a, a well. The term literally means to jump. So this water, he called it jumping water or water that's jumping and it, it, it has action. It's not sitting still. It's not in a hole. It's moving. And that water, it doesn't take you to drink the whole well. All you've got to do is take one sip. Just one sip of that water instantly produces inside of you this living water that starts springing up into everlasting life. When the Holy Ghost comes into our life and it happens, boom, and there's, there's that release, the well begins to spring and as a result of this well, our lives can change forever. The word gift is doria. In the Greek language, it's called epexgetical, which means there is another word that you can interchange with it, and they both mean the same thing. So the word it's interchangeable with is Holy Ghost. If you say Holy Ghost, it means gift. If you say gift, it means Holy Ghost. You can swap them out, and there's absolutely no difference in term if you say I, I, I received the gift, then everybody in that world knew that you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if you say, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they all knew you received the gift. Now this term gift is not a term that humans can use. Because for you to give a gift, you either have to spend your time making something or your money to buy something. It costs you. But this term is a term that's used of the gods in the Greek language. And it can only be used of gods. Gods have an ability to give things they don't have to work for, they don't have to earn. It's just part of them. So they're going to give you part of them because you're valuable enough to be like them. So this word, gift of the Holy Ghost, means that God is going to give you part of him that will make you like him. The Holy Ghost is not your janitor. It don't fix your messes. You know what? I've lived long enough to discover that the Holy Ghost has never changed one human being. If you were a jerk before you got the Holy Ghost, you're just going to be a jerk with the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is not going to change your jerkiness. It's not a janitor that sweeps your mess up. It's not someone that comes behind you and cleans up after you. Jesus said, the Holy Ghost will lead and guide you in all truth, remind you of what I said, and teach you all things. 
Jesus said, I'll put something inside of you that will be the speaker of your life. It'll step in to part of your brain, the front lobe of your brain, and it will cause you to have a conscience that's hyperactive. Nobody's going to have to tell you not to do something. When the Holy Ghost becomes alive and you let it live in your life, it will start saying, no, that's not a good thing to do. No, you shouldn't be going there. No, that, that's destructive to your life. That's, that's not going to help you be a better person. The Holy Ghost going to remind you you're going to start to do something all of a sudden a scripture pops in your brain because the Holy Ghost is going to drag the Word of God back into your life and remind you what He said. It's going to teach you all things and lead and guide you into all truth. Now, for the sake of time today, I, I told you you could spend eight months just from this passage of Scripture, but for the sake of time, I, I need to jump somewhere else this morning. Several months ago, I stumbled over a piece of research. It just caught my attention. I'm a weird person, I understand that. My brain don't work like everybody else's, I understand that. I probably have Asperger's, I, that's probably a fact. And, and, and so I don't think like other people. I, I, don't, I don't interact with crowds. I can get on a plane and fly 17 hours and never say a word to the person beside me. I don't get in their space, I don't want them in my space. I act like I'm asleep so I don't have to talk to them. <laughs> that's just me, Okay. And, and I'm incredibly introverted, and, and that, that's part of Asperger's. Now they call it autism spectrum, whatever. They're going to change the name. They'll, they'll have a new name for it in a little while. So. But as a result, I see things differently. And, and, and when I see details, I kind of get fixed on them. I, I, so I, I, I was looking at the Fox web page. There's an article, and I just started following it. And it took me to another one, to another one, to another one, to another one. And it, the more I started, it just kind of exploded, and I couldn't really understand all of it. And so I started this process of going back and, and finding more, and it's such an in-depth study because the study was about DNA. Well, last year, about this time of the year, I told my wife, I said, you know what, I, I want to do one of those DNA tests. I'd like to discover where I came from. My family has told me I'm part American Indian. So I, I just want to find out how much American Indian am I and, and, and what's, what's in my bloodline. So I spit in that little tube and sent it off to get it analyzed. And because there's nothing in your body that doesn't have DNA in it. The sweat of your skin. When you touch something, you leave DNA. DNA is the building block of life. And you leave yours every place you go. And so I, I thought, well, let, let's find out. Well, got quite a shock because there, there is zero part American Indian in my life. I'm 2% Jew. Had no clue where that came from because never heard that in my life. But it shows up. But I'm 99.9% European. Imagine that. With a name like Hughes, middle name like Bradley, which the other side, that's German and Irish. And so, yeah, that's 60-something percent. It just got me interested. And this article is about DNA. And so I started reading it. And it's really terrifying when you read it because some of the stuff they've discovered is is is. Very scary. But they've discovered that your DNA follows a very similar communication process as language does. It responds to syntax and grammar. And by certain sounds and watching, they can see how DNA changes. And so they, they started studying its effect. Well, according to American scientists, we only use 10% of our DNA. 90% of our DNA, they call junk DNA that your body doesn't even use. But other countries have decided to study junk DNA and discovered some really incredible things about DNA. DNA, which is the building block of, of life, every living organism has some kind of DNA. 
every living, from a tree to a flower to a worm in the ground, it doesn't matter. Every form of living life has DNA. And that DNA is your design of life. It tells you. It tells your body how to make cells. It tells your body how, how things should grow. It, it, and for the DNA to be effective, it's a, a helix. It's a spiral. And for it to be active, it has to uncurl itself and lay down flat. And when it uncurls itself and lays down flat, then it can communicate and do other things that your body needs for it to do. It can replace itself. You know, we were had all this this junk about stem cells and why we need to take infants that they had aborted and study their, their, their DNA or get the stem cells from them because it could help people and now they've discovered that your own body produces stem cells. All they got to do, take your blood out, spin it in a, in a centrifuge and, and then they can extract your stem cells from yourself and give it back to you and they're injecting it into injuries and it's regrowing parts that, that's part of your body but they're using yours, not somebody else's. Well, DNA has the ability to be affected. It's affected by sound and vibration. How did the world come into existence? In the beginning, what did he do? He, what? Spoke. What are words? Vibration. So God speaking and his words produces a vibration that starts creating things. So the reason you got to confess is spoken words have the power to create. So when you say these things, it just starts unfolding in life. And Russian scientists discovered that you can take a green light laser and vibrate the embryo of a salamander and record the vibration. As it vibrates back, they record the vibration that they pick up, which is very, very minimal. They have to have incredible instruments to do it, but they can vibrate it, record its vibration, and go to another embryo that's in the same family, like a frog, and vibrate the embryo of the frog with the vibration from the salamander and turn the frog into a salamander. That's how powerful your DNA is. Now that's scary. I don't know about you, but that kind of bothers me a little bit. What are they going to create because they have this incredible ability now to figure out how to make things work? And the next world you kids grow up in, I'm going to be gone and, and if the Lord don't come back, I, I'm not going to have to deal with this. And I thank the Lord I don't have to deal with what you're going to have to deal with in the next 30 or 40 years. But they also discovered that the vibration that affects DNA more than any other vibration is 528 megahertz. What's 528 megahertz? It's middle C on that piano. Middle C is the sound that helps DNA. Middle C. They've taken human DNA and suspended it in a liquid, put it in a room, and brought people in to argue and fight in front of it. And people in the room have said harsh things, hard things to the other people in the room. They screamed at one another. They cursed one another. They just said very evil things to each other. Didn't touch it. Just used words and left. They examined the DNA and it's damaged. They put it back in a fluid, brought people in the room to speak words of kindness, words of affirmation, words of love, and examine it. And the damage done by the cursing is now healed by the words of kindness and love. Now, if all this is true, only eternity is going to define what has happened to your children just by bringing them to the house of God and hearing and experiencing what you feel in a house of God. If it's sound and vibration, 
See, when I started studying families in the 70s, they, they declared that every kid, when they were born, at the instant of birth, their brain was empty. They had nothing in it. The moment they're born, their brain starts recording data. Now they know that's a total lie. By the third trimester conception, the human brain is fully developed and is picking up and learning sounds and noises. By the time a child is born, it knows the voice of mom, it knows the voice of dad, it knows the voice of siblings, it knows the voice of grandparents, if grandparents have been involved. So if mom came to church, it knows the sound of church so that when she brings it back to church, the sound doesn't terrify it and it doesn't start screaming to get out because it hears all these noises. The sounds that have more impact on DNA. Now, they didn't check Pentecostal music. I'm afraid some of ours might cause a little more damage than good, but that's just my opinion as an old man. And it's simply because of what I know about how it works. But they discovered that the chanting that is done by the Catholic Church in reading the Word of God, the the cantor, that actually sings it. If you've ever heard anybody in, in the Vatican read the scripture, it's in song. It, it's not, it, it's not uh, words that's not spoken. It is, it, it's sung like music. And it's incredibly beautiful if you've ever heard them do it. But they discovered that the reading of the word of God, using sounds of music, the psalms were always put to music. So reading the word of God with sounds of music heals your DNA nine times faster than anything else you can do. Now, rock music is going to damage it. Now, they said that. I didn't, but that's just what they said. Why? Because of the harsh sounds, the hard sounds, the minor keys, the keys that heal are not minor. They're not sharp keys. Man, amazing. I don't know anything about music, but I do know that there's keys that are called sharps. Why did they name it sharps? Because it irritates But that's not the incredible part. Several years ago, I had an experience with a lady that I've shared with Sister Dean. I've talked about with people. I talked about it for a little while and then got so blasted by what I was saying and, and, and I faced such opposition that I wouldn't even say anything about it for almost 20 years. Never came up in conversation for nearly 20 years. Until I read this stuff about DNA. I met a little lady years ago who was horribly abused. And for the sake of time, I'll tell her story. It's horrible. I don't understand how people can do bad things to people, but I've heard some terrible stories. Horrible stories. I don't understand how a mother can put hot sauce in her kid's eyes as punishment or cut their feet when they run away or wake them up in the middle of the night and beat them until it destroys a kidney or ruptures a disc and back or, or breaks off spondyla off the back and, and causes incredible damage in a child. I don't understand how a parent can do that. But I, I had great parents. I don't understand it. But, but there are people doing it. She was horribly abused. And it took almost six months of, of working with her to get her to the place where she trusted me of telling her story. One night, we were sitting at a table. Her husband's out waiting, and, and, and he's, I can see him through the glass. And a six-year-old starts talking to me. It terrified me. And, and when this six-year-old starts talking to me, it says, please don't tear my house down. Please don't tear my house down. I don't have a safe place to live. I need a safe place. Please don't tear my house down. And, and that, when she said it, Instantly, I remember, oh, I know what your problem is, and I told her. She said, yeah, but people think I'm possessed, so they keep trying to cast the devil out. Well, her pastor had told me she's my greatest prayer warrior. If she says God told her something about you, you mark it down. She's never missed. She hadn't got it half right or two-thirds right or 90% right. She's 100% right in everything she's ever said. God said this is what's going to happen. So she came back the next week and said, I was praying. The Lord said the answer to my problem was found in Romans chapter 8. If you'll go read it, you'll find out how to help me. So I went and read Romans chapter 8. I reread it, I read it, I reread it, I read it, I reread it, and I couldn't find an answer. It was infuriating. And, and so after about eight times through, I knew, okay, God, the answer's here. What, what am I missing? 
So I, I said, all right. I went and got my Greek text and all my books, and I set up my dining room table, and I started translating Romans chapter 8. And as I'm translating, it, it became obvious to me real quickly, all the pronouns are in third person. However, you do no injustice to any of the epistles if you put yourself as the person receiving it. It might have been written to the church at Rome, but you can put your name in it. This is to the church of James Hughes. You can make them personal. And so when I start translating Romans 8 in the personal, everything began to change. According to scientists, Dr. Andrew Newberg, when you speak in tongues, he's, he got 19 Pentecostals participate in his study. And he created a room in his hospital for them to, to worship, pray in, made a small chapel where they could pray. And these 19 people agreed to participate. They went in the room. After time of worship and prayer, they started speaking in tongues. And he had already put an IV in them. And by remote control, he could inject them with a radioactive isotope that at the instant of injection goes to their brain and stays there. And you can go 30 minutes later and take a picture of the brain and see what the brain was doing at the instant you injected it. So he wants to see what part of the brain is working when human beings speak in tongues. So he injected them, examined their brain, all 19. Not one, not two, not three, not half, all 19. When you speak in tongues, Andrew Newberg has discovered that the language center of your brain is not functioning. The part of your brain that controls your tongue and vocal cords is not active when you speak in tongues. They don't know how to explain it because what should be making words is not making words because there's no activity there. The part of your brain that is active is your sensory perception. It's like every nerve on your skin has been stroked all at the same time. It's like God wrapped himself around you and he touches you from the bottom of your feet. You're just embraced in a cocoon. When you start speaking in his language, they've discovered that DNA communicates. DNA has paths of communication that doesn't require connection of the person being present. They compared it to the black holes of space that it's like in our DNA is this place that something enters and it comes out in somebody's DNA that could be hundreds of miles away as a result of what you prayed in one place. When you pray, things happen. They have taken the queen ant out of an ant colony, removed her. As long as she's alive, that ant colony stays active. It gathers food. It stays active as if she's in it. The instant she dies, the ant colony disappears. Now, she can be taken halfway around the world, and that ant colony still knows she's alive. The instant of death, the ant colony disappears because their DNA community. No matter what kind of insect or animal that's out there, they connect through the communication system of DNA. Now, if that's the case, then God says, I'm going to give you a gift that's a well of living water that's going to give you an ability to do things that you would never have on your own. So I'm going to put it inside of you. And here's what's going to happen. The Spirit likewise helpeth my infirmities, my lack of weakness, my strength, my diseases, my shortcomings, my inefficiency, my troubles, my conflict. That's any kind of problem you could have. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth my problems. When I know not what I should pray as I ought, the Spirit maketh intercession for me with groanings that cannot... 
and the Spirit knows the mind of God. So God says, I'm going to give you an ability to heal anything in your life if you want it healed. And all you've got to do is just get caught away in my spirit and let me start flowing from through you. And I know how to use your tongue and your vocal cords to produce the right vibration to heal any aspect of your life. So I'm going to give you a gift that's beyond your ability to even comprehend or understand. It's not one you're going to want to leave somewhere or get rid of, but it's a gift that you're willing to take every moment of your life, every place you go in life. It's a gift that when it starts operating in your life and I give you this ability to pray in a language or with sounds and groanings you don't know what are happening and it's not your brain telling you how to do it. It's the Spirit of God that's taking control of you and when God's Spirit starts taking control of our lives, intercessory prayer is what God gives you the ability to use to heal life. Now what's interesting about your DNA and how it's passed to your children, your children will have half of yours and half of your wife's, but your grandchildren will only have 25%. So the effect is downward. I have a greater ability to affect my children than my grandchildren, but I can't affect my grandchildren. And I have an ability to affect not just my grandchildren, but their grandchildren, because I have cousins that have the same DNA that I have through intercessory prayer. My prayers can somehow get, through. I don't have God does it, but God can move through my DNA into their DNA and start healing their lives and changing their lives. If you've got backslidden children that have went away from God, if you just spend some time in intercessory prayer without the ability to stop it, God using you through your ability to pray however you want to pray, that will allow you to pray. And when you start praying through this gift called the Holy Ghost, it's going to start changing your life and the life of everybody that's around you. One of the problems I've discovered in Pentecost over my travel stand, I'm through. Over the last 20 years of travel, actually I've been traveling 30 something years, 1985 is when I started doing this full time. When I, I, I've discovered traveling through Pentecost that intercession is becoming a thing of the past and it's difficult to get people to pray until they quit praying themselves and they start allowing God to pray through them. But I can tell you every place it starts happening, it's like an explosion that takes place when people realize that they can use intercessory prayer. When that lady came back the next week and I said, here's what this scripture actually means and I gave her this revelation, her face lit up. She said, oh my, I've been doing this for years. Just didn't know what I was doing. I'll fix this problem tomorrow. She hired a babysitter, went to church, spent six hours in intercession, came back the next week with a smile on her face. She said, I got it all back. I have my life's back in order. I don't have all the junk's gone. I don't have any of these problems. There's no more nightmares, no more flashbacks. I just saw her about um, uh, six months ago, and she smiled. She said, still working. Every time I need something changed in my life, I just find my prayer room, and I start praying. And when I get caught away in the Spirit, and I allow the Spirit of God to start flowing through me, it starts ministering, and as things start changing, because God said, I will give you a well, a spring of jumping water. It jumps from human to human, from continent to continent. You can pray here and have an effect in Australia. You can pray here and have an effect in China, because intercessory prayer is what God gave us as a gift to change this world if we just wouldn't be afraid to let it out and let it happen. And when we let it out and let it happen, incredible things start happening in our lives. I wonder this morning if some of God's intercessors wouldn't be afraid to just get caught away for a few moments. The problem with intercession is if you ever start you're going to wind up spending a lot of time because it's the most incredible place you can go to the most incredible thing can ever happen in your life and time just kind of disappears you just you, you lose all consciousness of time 
when you enter into God's world and you let God start flowing through you and he knows what needs to be prayed to affect the neighbor that lives beside you, the co-worker that's at your job, the person that's down the street, the aunt, the uncle, the cousin, the brother, the sister, the child, whatever it is, God knows. God knows. You don't, but God knows. And prayer is the key. I open these altars to you this morning. If you're willing to forget about time today, if you're willing to forget about time today, if you need to leave, please feel free to go. But if you're willing to forget about time and you're willing for God to take you on a journey today, He's going to take you to places you haven't been. But it's only going to happen when you get in the Spirit as John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. When you get in the Spirit and you start praying and you let Him control tongues, vocal cords out of you is going to become life and and springs of water that's going to spring up. It's going to start affecting people around. You're going to start seeing incredible things happen as a result just of you letting God flow through. He give you the greatest gift He could ever give you and that's allowing Himself to be connected with you and when He can flow through you using you because He needs your human voice and your human sounds to affect the other humans that are around you. That intercessory prayer gives you this incredible ability to change life. So He's here today. you got a need it's here. You, you can leave today with all kinds of things taken care of today if you're just willing to make that commitment today to do so. Yeah, 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 yeah